so we're going to be in the book of Zephaniah. And uh, one of the minor prophets. And as we, we look at this unfolding story of redemption that we've looked through, God using people to bring about his plan and his purpose. And we see these smaller stories, these, these men and women who, just like you and I, are sinful, yet God chooses to do amazing things for his glory. And so often we've seen each story unfold that it's not about the person that the book is about or who's doing the thing that God has called them to do. It's about the story that God is unfolding. The fact that he's taken what's broken and he's bringing it back into himself through the, the work of the cross, through faith in him. And in every one of these prophecies also, we see the point in the coming of Christ, but then this beautiful restoration that's coming in the day of the Lord, where things will be made complete and whole. And it's a day that you and I should be longing for. And so we're going to be in Zephaniah chapter 1. We'll, we're going to hit the whole book in different places. Um, but Zephaniah, there's not a whole lot we know about him. I, I mean, he's one of the prophets that God uses to speak specifically to the tribe of Judah, um, to Israel, um, to the nations that are surrounding um, Judah and Israel. And uh, he's, he's of the bloodline of Hezekiah. He gives us that detail. Um, he's of the tribe of Judah. And we know from what God has been doing through this series is that God is bringing a lineage that Christ is coming through. And it's going to come through the tribe of Judah. And so it's really important for us to understand this story that we're going to be looking at this account in this bigger story of redemption that God is doing. If you want to be encouraged, join me in Zephaniah chapter 1, starting verse 2. So we start to see this picture of what God is speaking through the prophet Zephaniah to the people of Judah. He says, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. It's real serious, right? I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah, against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and from the idolatrous priests along with the priests. Verse 5. Those who bow down on the roofs to the hosts of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord yet, swear by Milcom, those who have turned away or have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. This is God's chosen people he's speaking through Zephaniah to. He doesn't paint a picture of this glorious thing that we so long for. He paints this picture of this judgment because Israel, Judah, has turned to their heart away again from the Lord. And as we begin to take on foreign gods, we see Baal, we see Milcom, we see the, if you study more into what that looks like, they're sacrificing their children to appease these gods for fertility, for, for rain, for for these gods to provide something in their life that they're looking and longing for that only Christ can provide. 
that only Christ can sustain, the only one who can actually do this is their actual God who has repeatedly over time said, I am your God and you are my people. I am your God, you are my people. He keeps extending this identity as his people to them, yet they continue to turn away from him over and over and over again. So we see this national judgment over everybody. And even in verse 12, God says, I'm going to come after the people who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. So they've come into this routine of thinking that this is just life. This is the best that it gets, and God will do something, God won't do something, it doesn't matter. So let's do what's right in our own sight, right? We see this Genesis 6 parallel of God wanting to sweep away everything from the face of the earth because he's looking at this heart, this heart that is broken, this heart that is wicked, this heart that is sick. To understand what the heart of Judah looked like, we can go to Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. And it reads, The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With the point of a diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars, while their children remember their altars and their ashram beside every green tree on the high hills. Verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is a very real understanding of the heart and what is going on in the tribe of Judah. I don't know about you, but I don't like hearing the truth about myself sometimes. It takes eight, ten people <laughs> before it really starts to sink in, right? Because we don't want to hear it. We don't want to believe that that could be true of me. We often want to think higher of ourselves. And so God in his love and in his justice and, and who he is, as our God speaks truth, your heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? And it doesn't matter whether we're reading in Zephaniah, Old Testament, New Testament. God is concerned about our hearts, who we are, our identity that he originally created us in, that has been broken and fallen and marred. Whether Old Testament or New Testament, God has been trying to redeem through belief and faith in him that he counts it as righteousness so that people may have a right relationship with him. I am your God. You will be my people. We see him do it over and over and over and over again. Even in Luke 6, 45, we see that the heart is such an important thing that the good person out of good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Our thoughts, our actions, our words come from whatever the treasure of our heart is, good or bad. And since we believe as Christians that the heart is broken, it shouldn't surprise us how broken things are around us. Including inside of us, our homes, our own thoughts, our own deeds. So we continue to see what God is saying to Judah in Zephaniah 1, 17 and 18. I will bring distress on mankind so they shall walk like the blind. Because they have sinned against the Lord, their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. 
Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end. He will make all of his inhabitants, all the inhabitants of the earth. We see this justness, this finality, this terribleness when he describes what's about to come. What he describes is his response to their wickedness, the consequences of their sin. And I'm so grateful for passages like verse 18 that it says it doesn't matter about your gold. It doesn't matter about your silver. You're not going to buy yourself out of this. It's not about your good works that you're going to get yourself out of this. Even back then, we're having to understand that it's not the outside that makes your inside clean. It's that only Christ from the inside out makes us clean. So they need a miracle. They need a savior. I think often when we read specifically in Old Testament times, we we begin to look um, because historically it's far removed from us that we start to believe that God is somehow far removed from us. That God is not concerned with our sin or that God does not respond with his wrath and his justice. That's not true. And just because God responds harshly in his truth and his reality to Judah does not make him an unloving God. In fact, I would argue makes him a loving God because for us to be in our sin, for us to be in our idolatry, we live in a fantasy that is not real. It breeds death. It breeds destruction. It does not breathe life. It can be the American dream. It can feel somewhat successful But that's the lie of the fantasy. So God in his love speaks truth to Judah, to the nations that are surrounding him, out of his love for them, to say this is actually where you are at. And it's not the good news of the gospel unless we actually know the bad news of where we are, right? And so God in his grace and his mercy says, Judah, this is where you are. Nations, this is where you are. Your heart is wicked. You have believed this reality and this, fan, this false reality and this fantasy of sacrificing your children to bail and milk them, thinking that's going to provide for you what you think will make your life better. One of the words that I was looking up, because I don't use words correctly all the time, complacency. Because you see in chapter 1, it said that they spoke and praised the name of Jesus, yet they actually, what they practiced was Baal and Milcom and other priests. There's a difference, because if you and I were to talk about who's your God, you're going to say, my God is God, Jesus Christ. But our practical theology must match up with what we claim. And so we see this complacency, and I was looking up the definition of it to make sure I fully understood it, and it says self-satisfaction especially when accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers and deficiencies. I knew about the self-satisfaction. I'm good. But it hit me when it says, especially when accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers and deficiencies. Church, when you're living in sin without the truth, you are unaware of the actual dangers and deficiencies that surround you. 
It is the truth of who God is. It is the truth of the gospel that pulls us out of that false reality and makes us understand and aware that we cannot be self-satisfied. It is only Christ who can satisfy that which is broken and lost. So we must know and understand the actual dangers and deficiencies in our own thoughts and gospels and religion. Things we practice in our day-to-day life. So we look at God's response. He spends a chapter just unloading this reality onto Judah through Zephaniah. In Zephaniah 2, verse 1 through 3, this speaks to who God is, what we were singing about. He says, gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes like shaft, before there comes upon you burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord, seek the Lord. All you humble of the land who do his just commandments, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden in the day of the anger of the Lord. If you want a verse to remember from Zephaniah, remember Verse 3 of chapter 2. God is calling the people. He says, seek the Lord. Seek. It's not complacency. It is active. I am seeking after you. I I want to know you. Because when we think about where we started, they were complacent in verse 12, chapter 1. Right? Like God will do something. God won't do something. That's not seeking the Lord. That's complacency. He's saying, seek the Lord All you humbled of the land who do his just commands, seek righteousness, not yourself. Only God is righteous. Seek humility. Seeking myself is not humility. Perhaps you may be hidden in the day of the anger of the Lord. Church, God meets people where they are at. He is not waiting for you to hit a certain way station, checkpoint in your life. He meets you where you are at. And at your worst, he gives his best, which is himself. God meets the people at their breaking point and reminds them that there is freedom and forgiveness for those who will humble themselves. We look back at Luke 9, 23-24. We must die to self and submit ourselves to the authority of who God is because he is calling us to die Every single day, moment by moment, that is seeking humility, is putting to death the sin that is in our life through the power of Christ because we can't do it ourselves. You and I live in this tension that Christ has come, he's given us his gospel, we believe in faith, at least I hope you do today. We are sanctified, holy, set apart, sons and daughters of, of the kingdom. There's this already, but not yet. It's that he is still working in us. That's the tension. He is still calling us. There is still discord from the fall that we experience in everyday life, from general sins, from the sins you commit, the sins other people have committed. This discord, this tension exists that God, in those moments, uses them to conform us to the image of his son. And that one day, one day, what we were singing about, it'll all be done. The restoration, right? You have the creation, the fall, the redemption, and one day the restoration. 
the culmination of everything. From Genesis 1 and through all of these stories we've been reading about, through all of the accounts, through all of the struggle, through all of the God meeting people and being steadfast in his love, seeing Israel rise and fall, seeing Israel turn their hearts and obey, and seeing Israel turn their hearts and turn away, seeing you and I do the same thing. It's all coming to this culmination, this day of the Lord that is coming. Church, we must be a church that believes that this day is coming. It should fuel us in our everyday walk for our own personal spiritual growth, but also for us to share the gospel with those that are around us because those who are not in Christ will experience his judgment and his wrath. Zephaniah 3, verse 9. Church, this isn't a, this, I love this. This is God giving us a glimpse of what this restoration is going to look like. You can see these phrases on that day for at that time. God's speaking through Zephaniah to the people. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech. That all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. This pure speech comes from a pure heart. We just saw how deceitful the heart was. Now we're seeing God say this pure speech comes from a pure heart. Don't get hung up on the speech. Get focused in on the heart being pure. And what does that lead to? It means that we can call upon the name of the Lord in one accord. The discord, the tension is gone. Verse 11. On that day you shall not be put to shame. Shame names and claims us for its own. And God is removing that shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones. And you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. None none other. Verse 13. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies. Nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall be made or make them afraid. 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let your hands grow weak. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness, and he will quiet you by his love. And he will exult over you with loud singing. This is the day of the Lord for those who seek righteousness and humility in God. Isn't that a beautiful picture in 17? The Lord your God is in your midst. He's not far from you. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. 
the day of the Lord, as I was thinking about that, is it's his day because it's his name and it's named after him. Because the day of Nick looks nothing like that. Right? In our sinfulness, in our desire for things to be reconciled, in our flesh, the way we go about it is we seek after idols. We seek after which we think will bring us joy. We seek after things which we think will bring us peace, provision, happiness. And it doesn't look like the day of the Lord because it has nothing to do with the Lord. It has everything to do with what it looks like for my day or your day. Some of us in here have been Christians a while and you have been hoping that Christian culture will bring about happiness in your family, that it'll make your husband the way he needs to be or your wife be the way she's supposed to be. Or you're hoping that Jesus will make your kids act the way they're supposed to so that they don't bother you or at least they make you look good. If we could have all of the peace and all of the things that look like the American dream and Jesus isn't a part of it, it's worth nothing. It's worth nothing. I think about the songs we sing of, you know, when we all get to heaven, streets of gold and mansions. Man, it's all that's nothing if there's not Jesus. It's, it's void in this life. It doesn't matter what you can accomplish or gain or anything if it's without Jesus. What good is it to profit? And gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul. And there's a day that is coming. Either God's judgment will come down for those who have not humbled themselves and seeked righteousness through faith. But those who do, we see this beautiful picture of what restoration really looks like. And the beautiful, most best part of that is restoration with our relationship with Christ perfectly. Better than ever experienced. And so as the worship team begins to come this way, the outpouring of who Jesus is is the only reason there will be a day without discord or oppression, a day without judgment or enemies. And I don't know where your story is, but if we're looking at this book of Zephaniah and God speaking this is where you really are at. Many of us maybe need to start taking stock of where we actually are in our faith with Christ. Is he asking us to lay down some idols? Things that we have looked to and longed for to complete things that only he can do. Maybe there's somebody in your life who needs to hear this so that they know about this beautiful day of the Lord that's coming. They may taste and see all of those things of the Lord loving, speaking kindness over us, singing a song over us. And just like we saw in verse 18, your great silver and gold and acts of goodness won't cover it. It is faith in Christ Jesus and Jesus alone for our salvation. Just like in the Old Testament, it was belief that God counted as righteousness. And so we have our prayer partners up front. Um, they're at the back as well. Our pastors are going to be up front as well. 
I know in a room this size, God is stirring and moving. All I'm saying is be faithful to respond. Whatever that looks like, be faithful to respond to his calling, his stirring. Because what we just saw in Zephaniah, he is faithful to do today, which is call you out of your brokenness to repent and to receive salvation and that redemption that will lead one day to a full restoration on the day of the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We come before you thanking you for your word. Your word that was proclaimed today, your word that we sang today, God, it penetrates to the depths of our souls. And I pray, Lord, that your church, your people would be faithful to respond to your loving kindness, to not leave us in our brokenness and our sin, but to conform us, to, to put us back into this kingdom that you are establishing for all eternity. Lord, we love you and we pray this in your son's name.